and welcome to the Worcester Talking newspaper, um, read out on uh, March the 9th, uh, by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. I haven't got my crib sheet tonight, you see, so that's why I'm a little bit slow. Um, as usual, we'll go through the uh, headlines, and we've got some of the stories from this week's papers. Um, the birthday list, a uh, very important birthday this list this time. Um, on the 17th of March, mm-hmm. next week, um, oh, it's mine. Oh, and then it's Roger... 60th. Get out of it. And... Uh, and also on the 17th, it's Mr. Roger Turner. So happy birthday to Mr. Turner. Happy birthday. Um, the thought for the day uh, is John 3, verses 14 to 17. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay, Um, I shall do the deaths now uh, for the week. Starting off with uh, William Thomas Edwards, who passed away aged 88 on the 10th of February. Um, his funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 16th of March at 3.15pm John Percy Goodwin of Chelmsford Court, Worcester passed away on the uh, 9th of February aged 83 his funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium March the 16th at 10am Leonard James Callow, known as Len uh, he passed away aged 95 on the February the 7th and his funeral service is at St George's C of E Church on Thursday, March the 16th at 1.45pm. Michael Wade, Mike, passed away um, aged 79 on the 26th of February. His uh, service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 15th of March at 4pm. Uh, Gordon Douglas Addison, ex-Archdales, passed away aged 81 on February the 26th. His funeral service is at St Paul's Church on the 15th of March at 1pm. Ada Holmes, known as Anne, uh, of St John's and Kempsey, passed away aged 81 on the 19th of February. Her funeral service is at St Mary's Church, Kempsey, uh, Monday... March the 13th at 2pm. May, no, sorry, Anne May Woodyatt passed away peacefully. Uh, 22nd of February. Her funeral service is on March the 16th at 12.15. Betty Kathleen Bosley, formerly of Skinner Street, passed away aged 96 on the 22nd of February. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on 14th of March 1045. Kenneth Gordon Tyson uh, passed away aged 89 on the 17th of February. His funeral service is at St Stephen's Church on the March the 13th at 1pm. Keith Douglas Briggs passed away aged 84 on February the 1st. His funeral service will take place on the 13th of March at 3.15 at Worcester Crematorium. And finally, 
Betty Robery passed away on the 23rd aged, of February, aged 91, and her funeral service is at St. Leonard's Church, Cotheridge, at March, on March the 13th at 1pm. Um, so I'm going to go straight over to uh, Paddy, who's got the first headline, and I haven't got a list of the headlines because I forgot to bring my crib sheet, so she'll tell you what it is. I've got a picture of a load of dirty money. <coughs> Police count massive haul of cash found in a peddler's den. Thousands of pounds in cash, cannabis and other drugs were seized after police carried out raids on two homes in Worcester. Officers first searched a house in Gresham Road, Dines Green, as part of an investigation into the supply of drugs being undertaken by West Midland CID Priorities Team. There they found more than... <coughs> 23,000 pounds in cash, which they suspect is the proceeds of drug supply. The money was found during the raid at around 9.50am. This was last Thursday. A 27-year-old man was arrested there on suspicion of being involved in the supply of controlled drugs. Police then searched a home in Shakespeare Road, also in Downs Green, where they found cannabis and other controlled drugs with a value of more than £15,000. The hidden drugs were discovered by sharp-nosed police dog called Charlie, who had been brought, in along, brought along to help with the search. At that address, a 28-year-old woman was arrested on suspicion of possession with intent to supply Class A drugs. The man and the woman were both taken to Worcester Police Station where they're still being held in custody. <clears throat> they were still being held. As the investigation continued, Detective Sergeant Jamie Francis of the Worcestershire Priority CID team described the amount of cannabis found as significant. I would urge anyone who has suspicions about drug dealing to report it to the police by calling 101. Information can also be given anonymously to Crime Stoppers by calling 0800 <coughs> A man has died in a house fire. Shocked residents could only watch as emergency crews battled to save the man after his home caught fire and his heart stopped. The man, aged 67, was pulled by firefighters from his home in Belmont Road, Malvern. Emergency crews, including police, three fire engines and two ambulances, rushed to the scene shortly after 9.50pm on Thursday. Firefighters from Worcester and Malvern rescued the man, who has not been named, and he was passed into the care of paramedics, who immediately began giving CPR and advanced life support. However, he died at the scene. Fire crews spent around four hours battling the flames, which began on the ground of the semi-detached Fortis-owned house. Patrick Maloney, who lives next door to the charred building, said he could smell smoke coming through his fireplace around 9.30pm. I saw the flames in his living room, only small flames. I saw the smoke. There was an awful lot of smoke, said the 51-year-old who immediately called the fire brigade. Everyone came out of the pub as well. 
Mr. Maloney was checked over by the ambulance crew for smoke inhalation, but did not require hospital treatment. Michael Bray Coates of Belmont Road saw the commotion around 10pm, but went light-headed and keeled over, hitting his head in the fall. He was also treated by paramedics at the scene, but was not taken to hospital. It is, a tra it is tragic, poor bloke, said the 40-year-old. I saw smoke billowing out of the window. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that something like that would happen. I'm all right, still shocked by it all. According to neighbours, the man had lived alone in the street for many years after moving from Wales. Phil Clifton, licensee of the retired soldier in Newtown Road, said the man was a regular at his pub and had been in for a drink on Thursday afternoon. He was a cheerful bloke, said Mr Clifton. He will be sadly missed. On Friday, a West Mercia police spokesman said the cause of the fire was not believed to be suspicious. Officers were working with fire investigators to establish how the blaze started. A police spokesman said, Officers attend to assist with crowd control and traffic management, and West Midlands Ambulance Service also attended. West Mercia Police is working with the fire service to establish the cause of the fire, but it is not believed to be suspicious at this time. At this point, next of kin have not been informed and the formal identification process has not yet taken place. A spoken, spokesman for West Midlands Ambulance Service said a man was rescued from the house by the fire service and found to be in cardiac arrest. CPR began immediately and ambulance staff also administered advanced life support. However, despite everyone's best efforts, it unfortunately became apparent that nothing could be done to save him and he was confirmed dead at the scene. West Midlands Ambulance Service sent two ambulances, a paramedic area support officer and a merit trauma doctor to the scene. Two fire engines were sent from Worcester along with one from Malvern. West Mercia Police also attended the scene. Okay, I've got the headline from Monday and it's what is that, that vile stench and there's a picture of a man holding his nose. Mystery surrounds a chemical smell which is blighting the lives of a group of Worcester residents. One woman living in Sherwood Lane off Malvern Road, St John's, has been forced to go to the doctors saying it caused her throat to burn and she has suffered sleepless nights. Other residents have complained of the burning odour. Worcester City Councillor for Bedwarden, Alan Amos, has now taken up their case and environmental health officers have investigated but cannot find the source of the smell. Sherwood Lane resident Lynn Saunders said the terrible smell began last September but became a constant nuisance in December, with residents suffering from the odour on evenings ever since. It is a strong smell of chemicals constantly burning when it starts, she said. We are getting headaches, nausea, we are coughing all the time. It has burnt my throat, it felt like acid inside me. I'm worried about the long-term health problems. We cannot sleep, it started at midnight the other night. 
We are up all night having to move around our house, sleeping on the floor of the dining room and bathroom, which is ruining our lives. Another Sherwood Lane resident said, There is definitely a burning smell. Someone is obviously trying to get rid of wood by burning it at night. A resident in Malvern Road, who also did not want to be named, said, I've lived here 53 years. It is definitely not coming from the sewerage plant near here, as it's a very different smell. I would say it's chemicals. Visitors have noticed it when they've been around. Councillor Amos said, I met with residents to discuss this issue and environmental health officers have been involved. But to be fair to them, they cannot take action unless we identify the source. At the moment, it's a mystery. One theory is that it's a wood burner, burning wood treated with paint. One of the residents went to the doctors with their symptoms and the doctor said he needed guidance what the smell was. If anyone else in the area is suffering, let me know so I can build the evidence. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, Environmental health officers have investigated and have not been able to trace the source of the odour. If the source can be traced, we would be able to issue advice to the person responsible and, if necessary, serve an abatement notice to ensure the nuisance is stopped and does not reoccur. Anyone suffering from the smell is asked to contact Worcester Regulatory Services on 01905 822 799. Councillor Amos can be contacted by emailing alan.amos at worcester.gov.uk. My next headline is caught on their phones. <clears throat> there are four pictures of uh, the police pouncing. Rush hour sting nets drivers still using mobiles at the wheel, despite the tougher penalties. This is a subheading. And the next page, this is drivers flout the phone laws. Drivers are flouting new, tougher mobile phone laws with a string of offenders caught texting behind the wheel during the busy morning rush hour. Six people were ticketed for driving while using a mobile in the space of just an hour and a half in Worcester. Despite the introduction of tougher penalties less than a week ago, <coughs> one driver was texting their boss to say they were running late. Another was reading an invoice. While one man, stopped by the police, had the popular Pokemon game on his phone on the passenger seat. They should be locked up, really. <coughs> During the... <coughs> And the police say they are surprised and disappointed that people continue to flout the laws and say that the crackdown is not about penalising drivers, but saving lives. During the operation, drivers were observed by a spotter at an undisclosed location in the city before he radioed ahead to other officers. Those who broke the law were made to pull into a lay-by in Grandstand Road where they were given tickets. They included the drivers of a Seat, a Peugeot 207, a Ford Focus, a Fiat 500, a Mini Cooper and a Toyota Hilux. Hilux. Of these, four were men and two were women, and one of the offenders included a teacher, a, me a media executive. The Mini driver told of the told the officer, sorry, when she was stopped, I'm guilty as charged. 
The driver of the Fiat said that she had been texting her boss because she was running late. One driver was spotted reading directions on an invoice and was given advice for not being properly in control of his vehicle, while the BM driver was asked to scrub his number plate clean as it was completely obscured by mud and dirt. The driver of a Citroen C1 was seen using what the officer believed was a mobile phone. However, when stopped, he claimed that he was looking at his iPod and not at his mobile yeah, phone. That's much <laughs> I'll go to yeah, say yes. Okay, <laughs> Which had Pokemon Game open on at the time. Officers issued a ticket to him for not being in control of his vehicle rather than a mobile phone offence. One driver was given advice after being spotted rolling a cigarette at the wheel. <laughs> on conviction for mobile phone offences, drivers now face six penalty points, up from three previously, and a £200 fine after new penalties came into force on March the 1st. One of the officers involved in the operation, P.C. Rich Fox. Foxall said, I am surprised and disappointed by the fact that in one and a half hours we have ticketed six people for using a mobile phone. All of the offences involved texting, which officers said could be even more dangerous than talking as they would have to take their eyes off the road altogether. With all this national coverage, people still seem to think it's appropriate. It isn't about penalising drivers, it's about road safety. Wednesday's Worcester News reported a body found in Canal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Police received a call from a concerned member of the public just before 7.30am yesterday morning reporting that they'd seen a body in the canal near Spring Lane close to Worcester Shrub Hill Railway Station. Emergency services went to the scene and found the body in the water. The body has not yet been formally identified and the police say they are treating the death as unexplained at this stage. The canal bank was cordoned off yesterday while police and forensics officers examined the area. Police dogs were also brought to the scene. Nearby George Street was closed while police made inquiries blocking off access to Shrub Hill Retail Park and Tallow Hill Car Park until about 10am. Several residents in nearby Spring Hill and Spring Lane said police had knocked on their doors to ask if they'd heard any loud noises or shouting between 2am and 3.30am, although none of them had heard anything. People living near to the canal said they were shocked to learn of the discovery. Andrew Clark, who has lived in Spring Lane for 28 years, said, It's quite shocking. My friend found a dead body by another bridge about 15 years ago, but we've never had one this close to the house. Another resident who asked not to be named said, It is horrible to think that this happened so close by. I phoned my mates and none of us know what happened. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, Shortly before 7.30am, we were called by a member of the public who reported 
that there was a body in the canal at Spring Lane. We can confirm that the body of a man was found in the canal. There are no further details available at this stage. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101, quoting incident number 79S. Okay, today's headline is School Sexting Epidemic. Head teachers have warned over a sexting epidemic in schools in Worcester. Concerned heads say they've seen a rapid growth in pupils sending inappropriate messages and even nude pictures to each other. Neil Morris from Christopher Whitehead Language College says he is now hearing of pupils sending inappropriate messages on a weekly basis and that is one of the biggest challenges facing schools. He said, the misuse of social media is our biggest issue in school. We have every form of misuse of it and it's the parents as well. It does seem to have become an epidemic in all sorts of areas. I don't think people realise how dangerous it is. They think it's just a joke. We don't and won't accept that as an excuse. We always refer to the police and get them help in sexual health counselling. It can ruin so many lives and it can be the area of the bully. I think that means arena of the bully. They think they can do whatever they like from the safety of their bedroom. If used wisely, technology is brilliant, but it changes so rapidly. Who knows what we will have in five years? Sex education is already compulsory in our school, and I think we do it very well. Sean Devlin, principal at Blessed Edward Oldcorn Catholic College, says he sees issues with pupils around social media, generally two or three weeks. The use of phones is banned at the school, but he has said misuses brought to his attention have included children sending naked pictures of themselves and pupils making sexual or inappropriate comments to each other. He also believes some pupils use phones excessively, often until 10pm and 11pm at night. It's a big problem in all schools, he said. We have the police in the next couple of weeks doing sessions in the different year groups. We want to make sure they are all clearly educated because it's a problem that wasn't there to the same extent four or five years ago. It's happening for some of the girls at an age when they are vulnerable anyway and need reassurance about their view of their bodies. What about the boys as well? Mm. However, he says schools can only do so much. Where it impacts on school or pupil relationships, we will get involved. But I do think it's for parents to know what sort of social media accounts their children are on, he said. I believe the government could do more to limit the adverse impact of social media. They don't seem to want to, perhaps, because they will be accused of attacking social liberties or censorship. But I'd like to see strict controls on social media and the postings on sites like Facebook and Snapchat. Steve Powell, head teacher at Nunnery Wood High School, said since joining the school, he's had two reports from parents about sexting and has liaised with the parents, the pupils involved and the police. He said, we have no phones in school in the day, which works well, but without that, I think it would be a bigger problem. Mr Powell says the issue is not just confined to secondary Mm -hmm. schools, as pupils that arrived in Year 7 had often been using mobile phones and social media for several years. He said one really alarming aspect is where there's a big problem, in more urban areas. It seems to be a power exercise exercise by boys to see how much they can get girls Mm -hmm. to reveal. He said it's up to us to say, would you walk into a room of strangers and reveal this? 
phones are very exciting for the kids and in some ways they are incapable of monitoring their behaviour with them. Okay, that's the headlines. Uh, so I'll start off with one of the stories and um, Worcester has been named the ninth safest city in the UK in a new survey. A fall of seven places from its ranking of second just six months ago. But Worcester has also climbed two places up the rankings to secure the coveted happiest city in the UK title in the survey by loan agency Provident Personal Credit. To compile the Unbroken Britain report, Provident asked residents to rate their hometown in a number of categories, including area, upkeep, safety and trust. Aberdeen, Plymouth and York have emerged as the UK's safest cities, while Worcester beat Wrexham and York into second and third spots, respectively, in the happiest city rankings. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Paul Denham, welcomed Worcester's position in the top ten safest cities, but he believes that racist attacks in the aftermath of the EU referendum could be to blame for residents feeling less safe and the cities slide down the rankings. West Mercia Police reported that it, that it had seen a small rise in the number of racially driven hate incidents following the EU referendum vote back in June 2016. Councillor Denham said, We have known for a long time that Worcester is a safe city because the police statistics show clearly that, compared to other places, this is a safe place to live. I think that ever since the referendum last June, there has been an increase in racist abuse and sometimes violence. The thrust of the Leave campaign was very much, we have got too many people here from other countries. Unfortunately, that gives a minority of people the idea that it is okay to be abusive to someone from another country. However, he welcomed the happiest city ranking, saying that the wide range of music, heritage and sporting activities available in Worcester, well, I wouldn't include the football with that one, could have contributed to the positive score. However, he said more work needs to be done to ensure that everyone is happy rather than most. I have always thought there were lots of happy people in Worcester, he said. It is nice to know there is a survey that confirms that. There is no room for complacency. We need to try and ensure that everyone is happy rather than most. Superintendent for South Worcestershire, Kevin Purcell of West Mercia Police, is reassuring residents that police are working tirelessly to ensure the city stays safe. He said this survey is based on public perception and thankfully... Worcester's rating remains above the national average despite the very small dip. We regularly adapt the way we police to ensure our communities and visitors feel safe and protected and surveys of this nature, as well as our own intelligence, assist us in regularly developing our police plans. Our top ranking, uptown top ranking, yeah. came to mind then, yeah. um, for happiness is also incredibly encouraging and we will continue to do all we can to ensure it remains a safe and enjoyable place to live and work. Worcester was rated third for area upkeep, fifth for trust, 11th for friendliness and politeness, and 21st for gossip. Oh, we need to get gossiping then, don't we? Mm. Now my next headline is Boundary Chaos. <laughs> A council leader in Worcestershire has hit out over controversial changes to MPs' seats 
admitting that she's very concerned. Councillor Linda Robinson, a Conservative who runs Witchhaven District Council, is the latest in a line of senior politicians to urge a rethink over the Boundary Commission shake-up. She has called the significant revisions highly controversial, telling assessors that it will leave the public bewildered and make elections extremely difficult to manage unless there's a change. In a highly critical written submission, she's also told the Commission that she finds it difficult to comprehend. As the Worcester News revealed last week, a second consultation has now started on the proposals, which are aimed at cutting the number of MPs from 650 to 600 and equaling out constituency sizes, which currently vary greatly. It includes enlarging Worcester to take in Drakes, Broughton, Norton and Whittington, handing Droitwich to Bromsgrove, and merging Morwell and Ledbury together in a new seat. But Councillor Robinson says the move to replace the mid-Worcestershire seat with a new one called Evesham and South Warwickshire makes no sense. It would mean five out of Worcestershire's six parliamentary constituencies would have part of their areas within Witchhaven's sprawling council boundary and would leave Councillor Robinson effectively having to juggle important issues. For example, changes to bin collections with five MPs in mind in the bins. She said, It's difficult to think of any other rural district that would have so many parliamentary constituencies. As you can imagine, this would have to be managed very well from an election management point of view. It would be unprecedented for our election team to have oversight or partial oversight of so many constituencies. The changes include handling, whoops, handing Ombersley near Worcester to the Wire Forest, with Councillor Robinson saying it has not gone down well with the public. She said she was highly concerned at the whole of Droitwich going to Bromsgrove, adding, I suspect you'll be concerned that the constituencies reflect natural communities as much as possible. The Evesham and South Warwickshire seat is difficult to comprehend. The Chief Executive of Worcestershire County Cricket Club says concerts being staged this summer are part of a longer-term strategy to turn New Road into a venue where there is always something on. Already confirmed is a concert by superstar Ollie Murs, where he, mm-hmm. on Sunday, June the 25th, for which thousands of tickets have already been sold. And then on Saturday, September the 9th, the county will stage a second Legends concert with Billy Ocean as one of the headlining acts already confirmed. The Cricket Club's chief exec, Tom Scott, said it will also host a classical concert this summer with one of the country's leading orchestras. He says the concerts are another step forward in the longer-term strategy to convert the club into a thriving 365 days a year business. There has been a lot of talk about this. It's now time to make it happen, Mr Scott said. 
We have signed off a concert with a leading orchestra who will perform at New Road in August. It is our hope that the three concerts, Olly Murs, The Classical and The Legends, will reach the whole of the Worcester demographic. This forms part of our overall business plan, which may take three to five years. We want the people of Worcestershire to know there is always an event on at New Road, something to please everyone and make full use of the iconic location. Becoming the go-to place for events, both private and business, is our ultimate goal. There is an opportunity to service local needs at the right price if we continue to deliver excellent customer service, something we have invested in during the winter. My wish is for people to visit the Worcestershire website to see what's on at New Road on a weekly basis. We're not there yet, but there are very strong indicators which suggest we are on the right path. Is there going to be any cricket? Doesn't say. Okay. Um, a man was hit by a shop sign which fell off a charity shop building. The man was walking near the taxi rank in the Cross, Worcester, when a Cancer Research UK sign fell on top of him at about 9.40am yesterday, so that was actually last Friday. He was using an umbrella which took the majority of the blow, according to West Midlands Ambulance Service. The force pushed the umbrella onto his head and he was left with minor injuries from the glancing blow. The man, believed to be in his 60s, did not lose consciousness and was taken to the doctors by the ambulance service. Paul Harding from Discover History was coming out of the NatWest Bank opposite just after the incident. He said, I came out of the NatWest on the cross and the charity shop signed by the taxi rank was hanging down. It's a huge sign, runs the full width of the shop. It was still attached but across the door and resting on the path so it might have been might have just happened. An ambulance was parked up and police were cordoning off the area. There were two police cars and shortly after a fire engine arrived. It was a big sign, a huge piece of wood. The sign was is about twelve foot by four foot. A spokesman for Cancer UK said we are investigating an incident at our Worcester shop involving the partial collapse of a sign that caused injury to a member of the public. Our priority was the health and safety of the injured person, our shop team and the public, and steps were taken to ensure these. The sign has now been removed and we are working to identify the cause of the damage in order to take appropriate action. We wish the gentleman a full and speedy recovery. Um, this is, oh sorry, there is a picture of a, a young lad here um, with a stripy blue t-shirt on staring into the um, camera like he's been startled um, and it says this is the suspect police are hunting in connection with a spate of incidents of graffiti which have been described as a blight on Worcester. Officers from West Mercia Police are urging Peter Caran to hand himself in as soon as possible. This is the guy in the picture. Uh, police have already visited both the defendant's mother's house in Sunnyside Road, Barbourne, Worcester, and his father's address in Waterside, Upton. But he continues to elude them. Officers say they believe Karen is deliberately avoiding them. No. As they have spoken to both his mother and father about the urgent need for him to hand himself in. Another suspect, aged 18, has already been arrested in Toledine Road in Worcester in connection with the graffiti. 
Hundreds of graffiti tags have appeared across Worcester over the last 12 to 18 months in locations as diverse as the Shambles, New Street, Broad Street, Pheasant Street, Lowesmoor, City Walls Road, Shaw Street, Farrier Street and Barbourne Road. The spate is estimated to have caused more than £5,000 worth of damage. PC Richard Foxall said, We are seeking Peter Caran from Worcester, who is a significant person of interest in our investigation into multiple graffiti offences over the last 12 months. That's like something from Dickens, that <laughs> sentence. Um, despite extensive inquiries, we have not yet located Caran. We are confident he knows we are seeking to interview him and that he is actively avoiding us. If members of the public can assist us in locating Karan, we will be able to progress our inquiry and hopefully move to resolve the ongoing graffiti problem around Worcester. Verily. <laughs> Common tags used in the space of graffiti include Asper and Sark forward slash Sar asterisk, while a crown or halo motif has also begun to appear on some of the tags. Charity, the Duckworth Worcestershire Trust, has already held meetings with police and leaders remain concerned about the graffiti's impact on the environment in Worcester, both for residents and visitors. Right, now my next headline is Station Hits a Fresh Delay. <clears throat> Worcestershire Parkway has been hit by a fresh delay and is now nine months behind schedule, the Worcester News can reveal. Worcestershire County Council says the long-awaited rail station will now not be complete until the winter of 2018-19. It means the project, which is costing at least £22 million, mm -hmm. is now 18 months behind the original completion date after being pushed back twice. <coughs> Parkway was originally due for completion in May this year, but due to a legal wrangle over the development rights, it was put back to March 2018. But now bosses at County Hall have admitted behind-the-scenes work to find a contractor who took a bit longer than expected, resulting in a new target date of the winter of 2018-19. Clearance work has only just got underway at the 14-acre site in Norton, with construction expected to start in September or October. Some councillors are now demanding answers on how safe the new target date is. Councillor Richard Oodle, Labour's infrastructure spokesman, said we need to understand the reasons for this delay and we need assurances that this won't happen again. It's wrong and unfair that we've learned about this from the media and that councillors have not been told. We did not know about this. What this also does is to give us an opportunity to change direction at Worcestershire Parkway so that we can have a park and ride running from there to ease congestion in the city. But Councillor Ken Pollock, the Conservative Cabinet Member for Economy, Skills and Infrastructure, said Parkway is a complicated project. A huge amount of work has been progressed on Parkway in advance of letting a design and a build contract, he said. This includes the securing of land, ecology works and industry-related approvals for the scheme, as well as the procurement 
of a design and build contract which took a bit longer than expected. However, I'm delighted. Work has now started on the full design of the scheme and preparations on site. We're looking forward to offering passengers improved rail accessibility and connectivity. A new community coffee and lounge bar has opened at a parish hall near Worcester. Coffee at WR5 <coughs> has opened at Norton Juxta Kempsey Parish Hall as parish trustees seek to make more use of the facility and bring in more money to maintain the hall. The bar and coffee lounge will be entirely run by volunteers and is one of a number of projects planned for the hall and the surrounding areas. Kevin Fincher, chairman of the Norton Juxta Kempsey Parish Hall trustees, said, everything that has been done is with the community in mind and we are really happy with it. We realise that the hall needs work to it, particularly a new roof, and for that we needed new revenue, and that was not going to come just from renting the hall out. We have already had people calling about renting it for weddings and christenings now that it has a bar area, and I think this will be a really good community facility. The new bar, which opened to the public on Saturday, has a kitchen and serves alcohol as well as soft drinks, while ice cream and donut-making machines have also been bought. Plans are now afoot to create a new picnic area, as well as a trim trail, running area and swamp garden, and to resurface the car park. <coughs> Jane Greenway, <coughs> excuse me, Clark to Norton Juxta Kempsey Parish Council said, I think it is a great service for the community which will help to provide a good meeting place. I expect it to be a big success. The bar and coffee facility will be open from 10.30am until 7.30pm every day except Monday for the first six weeks before more permanent opening hours are decided. Witchhaven District Council invested £37,000 into the scheme through a new homes bonus grant to Norton Juxta Kempsey Parish Council to allow the conversion of the room at the hall to take place. Another £10,000 came from the big lottery fund for equipment. Councillor Audrey Steele, chairman of Witchhaven's localism and community funding advisory panel, said... This is an excellent example of how new homes bonus money is being spent to benefit communities and meet local priorities. Not only will it provide a wonderful place for people to meet and socialise, it will also help to sustain the village hall in the long term. I wish the trustees every success for the future. Tyler's fundraiser has completed her ninth charity challenge in aid of St Richard's Hospice. Angela Bill, who lives in Droitwich, took on a triathlon and raised a tremendous £769 to help fund the hospice's vital services. The long-time hospice supporter finished the challenge, a 2km swim, 20km cycle and 20km walk in just six hours. 
Mrs Bill, who is retired, has taken on a variety of activities for St Richard's, including walking the Atlas Mountains, a skydive and tracks across the county. I've lived in Droitwich with my family for more than 30 years, and I first came into contact when St Richard's, with, with St Richard's 13 years ago, when I worked there, and saw firsthand the great work they do, she said. The fundraiser has been joined on a number of her fundraising challenges by her daughter Alison, including taking on the 50-mile Malvern Hills Walk, Midnight Walk and 31-mile Worcester Way. Mrs Bill added, I am, a passionate, sorry, I am passionate about the hospice, being able to continue to offer their free care, and this is why I took on my ninth challenge to raise funds. I did lots of training beforehand and really enjoyed the challenges. I had huge support from people, which is what kept me going, and my husband Roger has been a great support through all my challenges. Jane Sargent, fundraiser at St Richard's, said, We really appreciate all the fundraising Angela has done over the years, taking on a wide range of challenges in her bid to raise as much money as possible to help fund our continuing care. The hospice provides free, specialist, palliative care for patients living with life-limiting illnesses and supports their loved ones. For more information, visit strichards.org.uk. Uh, this probably refers to a headline from a previous week um, this year because I remember reading this on the website. Uh, two women have appeared in court after a girl was found wandering alone in Worcester. Carla Adams and Tracy Shepherd appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court yesterday afternoon, which was last Thursday. Um, Adams, aged 30, and Shepherd, aged 44, both of Rowan Avenue in Worcester, are charged with assault, ill-treat, ill-treat, neglect or abandoning a child to cause unnecessary suffering or injury. Neither defendant entered a plea and District Judge Nigel Cadbury adjourned the hearing until Thursday, March the 16th at Worcester Magistrates Court. Uh, both were jailed, sorry, bailed, on the condition, jailed, bailed, no, bailed, uh, on the condition not to have unsupervised contact with any child under the age of 16. The girl was discovered by a couple in their front garden in the Toledyne Road area of the city just before 9am on Saturday, October the 1st, 2016. Now I've got a happy looking pair of people here <clears throat> and there's a headline of a £380,000 grant to help the homeless. A hostel for the homeless in Worcester has been awarded the biggest project grant in its history. <coughs> St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill has secured a big lottery reaching communities grant worth £379,000 over a three-year period to pay for its Tree of Life project. After an initial application was rejected in October 2015, the charity's chief executive, Jonathan Sutton put in another bid and the cash was finally awarded. The funding will pay for the vital services which would otherwise be impossible for the charity to deliver because of central government cuts amounting to around £500,000 a year. The bid took around 800 hours of work and the application success has been welcomed by staff and services users. Mr 
Sutton said that without the grant, the charity would only offer the very basics. It would mean we're simply warehousing people in the hostel, not providing them with the opportunities to repair themselves, heal themselves, re-equip themselves and reintegrate them into society, he said. This is something more dynamic. The charity has lost around £500,000 a year in funding since 2015 and without the grant could only provide the basic accommodation service, 46 beds and two on-site self-contained flats. The ring-fenced grant aims to build a more tolerant, understanding approach to homeless people and rough sleepers within the hostel while the challenging preconceived perceptions of homelessness and shattering urban myths which may persist among the public. Staff have already taken a part in a trauma-informed course at the University of Worcester which looks at how adverse childhood experiences can affect the behaviour and health of service users. Another objective is to develop the numeracy, literacy and digital skills of service users to get them work ready. A third element will focus on building self-esteem and self-confidence through counselling by Sean Adams, an aspect of hostile life which faced an uncertain future until the grant. The fourth strand is a kitchen project led by 38-year-old Gren Dobson, the hospital's chef and catering manager. An experienced chef, Mr Dodson has been based in London, France, Switzerland, the Cotswolds and Cornwall, where he worked for celebrity chef and television presenter Rick Stein. Mr Dobson said he was buzzing at the new opportunity, will train service users in the kitchen with the hope of getting them into work or further education. The grant has funded the key post of skills and community engagement manager for 19-year-old Lizzie Leonard, originally from Ashburton near Christchurch in New Zealand. She says the grant has made for a less stagnant environment and that she's already noticed a more positive atmosphere in the hostel. Service suspensions have plummeted, taken in a positive indication the grant is already reaping rewards, even before the project officially begins on April 1st. A service user who's been addicted to heroin and was abusing alcohol says she's only been able to turn her life around because of the extra support the hostel staff have given her, including counsel. And she said, I couldn't have done it without some Paul's. Entrepreneurs showed off their business ideas on Worcester High Street as part of a young enterprise competition. Pupils from 13 schools and colleges across South Worcestershire set up stalls to sell a variety of products from cookbooks to homemade candles to fruit squashes. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Paul Denham, opened the Worcester Trade Fair. The fair was one of the first events of the Young Enterprise Company programme, which sees pupils working to teams to set up and run businesses, to decide on a company name and to choose a product to sell to the public. 
Among the young enterprise teams taking part were Danny Cave and Ryan Davis for Polar from Tudor Grange Academy, Worcester, who were selling cookbooks on their stall. Danny, aged 17, said, We are going on to university and thought it would be good to have something to help us when we are catering for guests. We've had a lot of interest and sold five cookbooks. Students from the King's School Worcester were there with a team called Millennium selling aromatherapy products. The team was later given an award for best display. Jack Keneally Perrin, 16, said, We've done really well. We've sold well over £100 worth today and the judges seem to really like us. Malvern St James student Imogen Townsend, 16, was representing Illuminate, which was selling fruit cordials and coasters and was given the award for best product. She said, we wanted to do something local to Herefordshire and Worcestershire, so we found a local supplier. The peppermint and lime has been quite popular because it's quite good for mojitos or mixing with lemonade. Nassima Carton, aged 16, was representing Worcester Sixth Form College team Genesis Enterprises with Ed Rose, Amir Iqbal and Freya Dunn. She said, we've made candles in recycled glass jars. We made the candles ourselves and found the jars on free cycle. We've sold nine today and the judges looked at our company report and they seemed impressed we'd started it already. Raw Aspirations from Pershaw High School was awarded Best Sales and Marketing, while Hidden, a team from Tudor Grange Academy Worcester, which had created T-shirts with a hidden anti-bullying slogan, won the Best Company overall. An historic cap on taxi numbers in Worcester has failed to make a lot of difference three years after it was introduced. That's the verdict from an independent report which reveals how the number of hackney carriages in the city is 14% above the actual cap. Back in February 2014, Worcester City Council decided to put a limit of 231 on the number of licensed hackneys. That meant a ban effectively came into place on allowing any more in, as the number of that time stood at 265 with concerns rife for years about overranking congestion and pollution. But the number today stands at 264, just one less than three years ago, despite hope back in 2014 that natural wastage would lead to a steady reduction. A team of consultants based in Scotland, Vector Transport Consultancy, was hired to assess the current situation and has produced a 72-page report detailing its findings. The dossier, which involved three weeks of observation in areas like Fourgate Street and The Cross, found approximately 24% of hackney carriages left the ranks empty. In the worst week, there were 1,636 occasions where drivers were observed leaving the ranks without having a passenger to pick up. The findings threatened to reopen the debate about the effectiveness of the cap which was aimed at bringing numbers down over time. 
Back in 2014, the council did a survey where 84% of people believe Worcester had too many taxes. It stood at 100 in 2001. Leslie Borthwick from Worcester Taxi Drivers Association said, Drivers are certainly working longer hours. They will sometimes sit on a rank for one and a half hours waiting for a job. They can be sat there for a while not earning anything, but in this day and age, a job's a job. It's not a case of why haven't they left the trade, it's more a case of what can they do otherwise. It's difficult. The report will be discussed by the Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee tonight. So, that was last Monday, starting from 7pm at the Guildhall. Councillor Simon Cronin, its Vice-Chair, said, Ideally, we'd say 231 is the number and keep it at that, but we're not allowed to tackle it from that angle. Uh, a landscape oh, yeah. uh, architect whose Land Rover Defender has been stolen says he now fears for the future of his business. Richard Greenway woke up on Monday morning, um, so this was two Mondays ago, uh, to find the 4x4 vehicle had vanished from outside his home in Henwick Road, St John's, Worcester. He says that without it he can't keep appointments in remote rural locations that a normal car can't reach. He said... As well as being a landscape architect and designer, I do a lot of work such as landscape assessments, arboricultural impact statements and tree surveys, which means going out into the country a lot using rutted lanes that my other car just couldn't cope with. Right now I'm left wondering how I'm going to do, going to do them and how my business will survive. The Land Rover Defender, which he bought in 2002, is the TD5 model, green with a white roof and bearing RNLI and Cardiff Yacht Club stickers. It has the personalised registration plate W3RWG. Stolen with it were many of the tools he uses in his job, plus a part he had just bought for his boat, which he keeps at Cardiff Bay. He said, the theft has hit me both in my working life and my personal life. I used the Land Rover to tow my boat on its trailer and now I can't do that, so it's stuck in Cardiff. There was also a rubber strip for my boat in the back, which had just arrived after I ordered it, especially from a company in Seattle. I can order another one, but it will take weeks to arrive. Mr Greenway says other Land Rover Defender owners need to keep a close eye on their vehicles, which are rapidly becoming more attractive to thieves. He said, the Defender is no longer made. It's extremely popular and prices for second-hand Defenders are rising rapidly. The Land Rover magazines have been warning that this makes them more attractive to thieves who steal them to be shipped abroad for sale or for parts. If you have a Defender, keep a close eye on it. Now, I have a piece about knitted octopuses for pregnant or premature tots. Tiny babies in hospital in Worcester are snuggling up to colourful knitted octopuses to help them feel safe and comforted. More than a dozen of the knitted sea creatures have been donated to Worcestershire Royal Hospital Neonatal Intensive Care Unit by a woman from Kent. (coughs) And now a mum whose premature son has benefited from one of the quirky little characters, is appealing for niches to help make more for other tiny tots. Babies like grabbing and clutching the tentacles, 
because they mimic the feeling of the umbilical cord in their mother's womb. Carla Gregg from St. John's gave birth to baby Tommy Gibbons on January the 5th at 26 weeks. He weighed just two pounds, two ounces. Now weighing five pounds, Tommy is expected to leave hospital in April, close to his original due date. The 29-year-old said he was really bad at ripping his tubes out at first, but now, rather than that, he plays with the octopus a lot more. It gives him comfort. If the mum keeps it close to her, it can smell like her when it gives them even more comfort. It's going to be a keepsake for him too when he comes home. Matron Sharon Alley <coughs> said an article about the octopuses was posted on the unit's Facebook page set up by Lisa Shepherd, and now most babies have them. Everyone has gone octopus crazy. It has been really positive to see. I can knit and design looks and the design, sorry, looks pretty simple. I don't imagine it takes too much time to make one, perhaps a couple of days. From now we have any we will have them from birth when they are coming into the unit. Then when the babies go home, the babies will take them with them and the parents of something that the baby has been nuzzled next to. We've had a few donations and some of the girls have been making them. It's nice for them to have something as a keepsake that has helped their babies. The octopuses must be made from 100% cotton so they can be washed and dried and pass the infection, hospital's infection control. Staff nurse Tony Clark, who previously volunteered for premature baby charity illness, said you definitely see a dear difference when you put them in with the premature babies. You can see them running their hands through them and gripping onto them, and they seem a bit calmer. The parents love the idea, and they're growing in popularity. At 33 years days old, Nate Lambert has also been enjoying running his fingers through the octopus's tentacles. His mum, Stephanie Ferriday from Warnden, said it's nice to know that her son, who was born at 30 weeks, weighing just two pounds, six ounces, have something to comfort him. He was given it about two or three weeks ago and he took it really well, took to it really well. He has it with him quite a lot and we've got lots of pictures of him gripping it. A knitting and crochet event will take place tomorrow from 4.30pm to 9pm at the Woodpecker Cafe in Evesham Road, Worcester. It's free to attend and people can have a go at making an octopus. They just need to bring their own supplies, including 100% cotton yarn. More information on how to make the octopus can be found at facebook.com forward stroke operation octopus 642 693-945-594-0411. Miss Grigg has set up a GoFundMe to help pay for supplies to make the octopuses. <coughs> GoFundMe.com forward slash tiny Tom's, Tommy's octopus campaign and a Facebook page charting Tommy's journey. 
Facebook come forward slot Tiny Tommy's Journey. Contact 01905 742255. A sold sign has gone up outside Worcester's landmark YMCA hostel, but the identity of the buyer remains a mystery. Both the YMCA and the agent handling the deal insist the sale has not yet been completed and negotiations are a sensitive stage. The Grade 2 listed building in Henwick Road, St John's, was put on the market last year for an asking price of £1,450,000. Bosses at the YMCA Worcestershire, which owns the imposing Gothic style structure, say negotiations are underway with prospective purchasers, which include a Red Indian and a construction worker, uh, but are at a sensitive stage. <laughs> Andrew Grant Estate Agents, which is selling the property, confirmed the building is under offer, but said the sale had not yet been completed. Both Andrew Grant and the YMCA said they could not disclose the identity of the prospective buyer at this stage and no deal has been logged with the land registry at this stage. The prominent Victorian building has been a lifeline to the city's homeless community since 1957, providing vital accommodation and support services to countless people. The YMCA has previously said it plans to release to sorry plans to lease the property back temporarily once it has been sold meaning none of the 60, 60 residents will be made homeless while it searches for new premises in the city it is understood that the 15 members of staff who currently work at the premises will not lose their jobs but will be relocated following the sale. Speaking last September, a YMCA spokesman said, we can confirm that our site in Henwick Road has been put up for sale while we search for alternative accommodation in the local area. It is our vision that the YMCA moves forward in Worcestershire providing modern facilities needed by the local community as well as accommodation better suited to the needs of the young people we support. Part of this involves creating modern campus-style housing that encourages our residents to take on training, education and employment opportunities available to them as they seek to move into independent living. Worcester's MP is backing a bid for a new northern footbridge over the River Severn, saying it will give the city an economic and environmental boost. Robin Walker says the potential bridge linking Gellivelt Park to Keepax Country Park will offer the city a perfect figure of eight for walking and cycling. He also says he would be prepared to lobby the government over it once council chiefs have drawn up firm plans. As the Worcester News revealed last week, Bless you. The City Council has put aside £150,000 for a feasibility study with the footbridge. It is likely to cost at least £2 million, with hopes that it will replicate the huge success of Digley's Bridge, which has transformed travel in South Worcester. 
Mr Walker said, it's very exciting. This is something Councillor Simon Geraghty, the County Council's <coughs> leader, has been very keen on for some time, and it all looks very positive. To take a great quote from Frank Underwood when Trump became president, losers build walls, winners build bridges. This would be great for Worcester. We've seen with the success of Dickinson <laughs> Bridge how it has allowed so many people to walk and cycle. Creating a figure of eight by getting a northern one in place would be ideal. The prospect of a new footbridge has led to a deluge of reaction from Worcester news readers, with the overwhelming majority supporting it. Some have suggested a new bridge should have a clear separation line between pedestrians and cyclists, something not factored into either the ageing Sabrina Bridge off Hilton Road or at Diglis. More than 485,000 annual trips are made across Diglis Bridge, more than 10 times the forecast since its opening. The £150,000 fund for a feasibility study has been approved as part of the 1718 City Council budget after Conservative groups suggested it securing all party backing. The study will firm up the route, its costs, the design and likely timescales before Worcester County Council is asked to seek funding. OK, that's some of the stories. Um, we'll go to some of the letters from the editor now. <laughs> Paddy. I have a projected artist's impression of the duelling on the uh, Carrington Bridge. So, it's that time of the year, and you can spot the signs. What an early spring, perhaps. No, the county council elections in May. First came their two-page advertisement for the Southern Link Road, with the computer-generated pictures of the road. Real photographs would inevitably show massive traffic queues. The advert is blatant electioneering by the Tories, paid for from public funds. But then came the setbacks. A letter from Vivian Jones, the county surveyor who built the Carrington Bridge, suggested that 2021 is a highly optimistic date for the duelling completion. Next, controversial road signs telling us how good they are had to be removed from the road as they had no planning permission. Cost of those signs, almost £2,000. And third, fears of more congestion threaten the proposed super village. Apparently, the county council leadership now wants a northern relief road. Oh, by the way, it won't be until 2030. And if they start planning it then, it definitely won't open till at least 2014. 40. That will have delayed it by a full 50 years from the 1990s when they started by building the Northern Link and then chickened out to avoid extending the road near to where their Tory supporters live. No mention, of course, of the horrendous mess that they made in both the Whittington and Ketchrine Islands. Also, it's been alleged that insufficient maintenance may have led to the Eastern Bridge collapse. The Tories certainly prevaricated for months until they were forced to rebuild that bridge following pressure in the local press. But when the government give the go-ahead for the bridge and the southern link, all the Tories will be on the Carrington Bridge, smiling for the cameras around March the 20th, 
when nominations for the county council elections close and they'll be hoping more people forget their abysmal performances over the last few years. Another bridge story here, but a different bridge this time, <clears throat> from Geoffrey uh, Harvey of Worcester. Has Worcester enough foresight to build a really exciting footbridge across the Severn? I don't think so. Many years ago, I had a holiday in Canada and walked across one of their longest suspension bridges. Wonderful, and it makes money. We have an ideal site, but have we the guts to build a visitor attraction like Canada did? Their bridge is lined by a wire fence with handrail and wide enough for two people to walk side by side or bike or wheelchair. It provides a daring crossing, a walkway high above the ground where you can feel a gust of wind move the walkway. Don't just dismiss this idea, have a look yourself. Go on the net and search for Capanillo, Capilano, sorry, suspension bridge. For the feasibility study, send someone over there to have a look. An idea really worth following up. I'll go. Um, OK, my letter is from John Matthews of Worcester. Sir, just read that around £20,000 of taxpayers' money is to be spent on 20 trees at key locations in the city to collect up toxins from diesel engines. Surely this story was meant for April the 1st, not March the 1st. We read not so long ago that the pollution in the doll day was at dangerous levels. Do they really think that a few trees will solve the problem, or is this a joke? The tree suppliers will be laughing all the way to the bank. Now, this is a fair point by Hannah Wall. New penalties will help, but we must change our mindset. Last week, tougher penalties were introduced for drivers caught using a mobile phone behind the wheel. Under the new rules, drivers flouting the law will be slapped with a £200 fine and will now be also handed six penalty points, enough for new drivers to lose their licence. The story was extensively covered in the media, with some news outlets featuring families' heartbreaking stories of loved ones killed in crashes where a driver had been using a mobile phone. When you hear of the tragedy caused by using a phone behind the wheel, it makes you never want to touch your mobile in the car again. But inevitably people forget, and in time fall back in with bad and dangerous old habits. In yesterday's Worcester News, we reported how police caught six drivers texting while driving during Monday's morning rush hour. I found it astonishing that so many people were given tickets, and that's just one spot in one morning. Imagine how many people across the country are guilty of doing the same thing. Climbing down off my high horse for a second, I can understand that it can be tempting to check your mobile while driving. We're so glued to these little devices, it can be hard to resist quickly looking at a message or checking your phone while you're stuck in a traffic jam. But really, we need to remember how devastating the consequences of taking our eyes off the road can be, even when we're sitting at lights or in traffic. And that's not just for others, but for ourselves too. It's so easy to have an it-won't-happen-to-me attitude, but really, anyone who lets themselves become distracted 
distracted by their mobiles while driving is more at risk of causing a crash. It's fantastic that new, stronger penalties have been introduced and hopefully it will work as an effective deterrent, especially for new drivers who will have to retake their theory and practical tests if they're caught within the first two years of getting their licence. But I think drivers need to change the way they think to cancel their phone-checking impulses in favour of being more responsible on the road if the problem is to be completely eradicated. So, in response to the article Naked Clown Shock, Worcester News, March the 1st, the article took my mind back to seeing the white lady who walked around Worcester in the 50s and 60s. She was a large lady dressed entirely in white. In the Edwardian style, she sported a Mary Poppins-type black hat, always carried a parasol or umbrella, and her face was always white with powder. She never said a word and always seemed to be floating instead of walking because of her white dress, because her white dress was always long. <coughs> As a child, if I saw her in the distance coming towards me, I used to cross the road. Legend refers to her being jilted at the altar on her wedding day or that her future husband was killed in the Great War. I remember her. Mrs. Havisham. Mrs. Havisham. She wasn't Mrs. because that's the whole point. Yeah, that was it. Yes, I remember now. Thank you. Um, that's okay. My um, letters from Georgia and Rage of Worcester. Sir... Worcester's traffic has got progressively worse over the past few years, but it is not just attributable to an increase in the volume of traffic, it is also due to poor road traffic management and design. For instance, the zebra crossing on Croft Road often causes traffic to gridlock, particularly at peak times, as the flow of pedestrians using the crossing is almost con constant. This should be replaced with a pelican crossing, which would allow the traffic to flow while still providing a safe crossing point for pedestrians. The addition of three new food retail sites, Asda, Little and Waitrose, have all been poorly thought out in that each only has a single ingress and exit point onto very busy highways, again causing lengthy queues of traffic and gridlock during peak times. Again, the use of zebra crossings instead of pelican crossings adds to the traffic chaos. Surely it is not beyond the wit of man to apply a little more thought to these issues before granting planning permission. The stretch of road from Barbon to Castle Street has no less than six sets of pelican crossings and traffic lights, which are not sequenced, which again prevents the traffic from flowing freely. Mm -hmm. Standing or slow-moving traffic is not only frustrating for all road users, but more importantly causes increased pollution and diesel engines increase low-line pollution, which is a major cause of various heart and lung diseases and conditions including asthma. The cost of the additional ingress and exit points should be borne by the developers or the retailer, while installing pelican crossings instead of zebra crossings would have to be borne by the council. I guess, but the environmental, economic and health benefits would far outweigh the cost. OK, that was the letters to the editor, as I've been pointed out, not from the editor. Um, so I've got a story here 
about Droitwich. We don't get many f uh, about Droitwich, but there you go. Um, a television chef has been announced as the headline act to grace the stage at a popular food and drink festival. Brian Turner, a stalwart of BBC Two's Ready Steady Cook, will officially open this year's Droitwich Spa Food and Drink Festival on Saturday, June the 17th. He will be accompanied by Nigel Huddleston, Droitwich MP, in launching the festivities before running a cookery demonstration for visitors. Patrick Davis, who is organising the One Day Bonanza, said, We are thrilled to have secured Brian Turner to join us for the day on Saturday, June 17th. Mr Turner joins a growing list of celebrity guests to be invited to the festival which saw Great British Bake Off winner Nadia Hussain visit last year. While last year's event was a two-day affair, this year's will return to the original one-day format and will move from the town centre to Lido Park, or is it Lido Park? I don't Lido. Know. Lido. We always were a one-day, then we went to two days last year, explained Mr Davis. The short and long of it is that we are all volunteers we worked for two days and got the same out of it. We think it is better to really do a good event and people are really happy with it than do two days. It doesn't make sense, sorry. The 2016 festival was a roaring success and saw around 200 food and drink stalls colonise the town centre for the weekend-long event. Colonised, that's not the right word either. Among the producers, displaying their tasty wares were... Dave Checketts of Checketts Fine Foods in Ombersley and Gillian Curtin of Churchfields Farm Ice Cream based in Salwarp. Salwarp? Salwarp. I can't. It's just really weird, these villages around there. This year, the festival's fifth, there will be around 100 stalls selling produce from around Worcestershire and beyond, <laughs> along with a demonstration kitchen, live entertainment and kids' zone. Mr Davis added, I think the main difference this year is it is going to be very much a family event. We've got things for mums, things for dads, and we've got a big kids' corner. There is free entertainment for children, but also a little outdoor catering unit for the kids, so that makes it a bit different. The Free to Enter Festival is run by a committee of volunteers. Um, oh no, I'll, oh, I'll do it anyway. For more information, visit... DroitwichSparFestival.co.uk or email info at DroitwichSparFestival.co.uk I have a picture of two gentlemen holding... What are they holding? Replicas of the new £1 coin. It will be all changed for the £1 coin later this month, but Worcester's car parks are already equipped with a new 12-sided coin about to enter circulation. Worcester City Council has spent £14,500 making upgrades so that the 14 pay and display machines at its car parks around the city will accept both the current £1 coin and the new 12-sided replacement, which is being introduced on Tuesday, March the 28th. Councillor Jeff Williams, Cabinet Member for Economic Prosperity, whoops, our officers have been preparing behind the scenes for several months and everything is now in place for customers to use the new £1 coin right from the first day of introduction. Now, car parks. As well as paying for parking by cash, 
drivers have also the option to pay for parking using their mobile phone and a credit or debit card. For more information, visit worcester.gov.uk forward slash parking. Good luck to you. The leader of Worcestershire County Council is in line for a shock 10% pay hike, the Worcester News can reveal. A leaked document also reveals how a series of other politicians could get hefty inflation-busting rises, including 10% for the deputy leader and 8% for cabinet members, as well as the scrutiny chairman. Sources at County Hall suggest there has been a concerted effort to try and keep it quiet until a decision can be taken after May's elections by the New Look Council. The figures have been recommended by an outside panel of assessors sitting on a special independent remuneration panel and were circulated to some politicians in December. But the figures have yet to be published publicly. Mm-hmm. with the section of the council's website listing IRP reports still showing the latest one to be from September 2015. By law, councillors have to vote on their own pay and have no obligation to accept the IRP findings. But the report says the responsibility of councillors, particularly the leader, Councillor Simon Geraghty, and his leadership team have increased significantly. If accepted, the move would take leaders, sorry, leader Councillor Geraghty's special top-up rate to £34,181, a £3,107 surge. It would also take his overall package to over £53,000, which includes allowances for being Tory group leader and a basic councillor. The cabinet members' extra 8% would take their special responsibility top-ups to £17,819, a £1,320 rise. The IRP has also recommended the basic councillor allowance of £9,019 should rise 2% and that the role of the scrutiny chairman held by Labour councillor Richard Richard Udall should increase 8% to £17,819. The deputy leader's top-up a position held by Councillor Anthony Blagg until May would rise 10% to £18,149. The main parties insist it will be a matter for a later date. Tory Councillor Lucy Hodgson, a Cabinet member, said this hasn't been discussed in our group and is the recommendations of an independent body. Labour Group Leader Councillor Peter MacDonald said, Between the group leaders, we've quashed it. It's the wrong time. But Lib Dem Councillor Tom Wells said, Why is this being buried until after May? People are being warned that a group of cold callers known as the Nottingham Knockers are operating in Worcester. 
Police say a caller was abusive to one homeowner in Harrow Road, St John's, after he refused to buy any of his items on Thursday afternoon. He was described as white in his late 20s, 5 foot 7 inches tall, with short brown hair and a slim build. He was carrying a blue rucksack. Nottingham knockers are persistent and pressure people into buying their cleaning products. Police are warning that the sellers are not official, no matter what identification they show. People are being warned that if a salesperson comes to their door, they should not be persuaded to part with money for products they do not need or of poor quality. They are also advised to use precautionary measures such as a door chain and to ignore callers if unsure who it may be. To trade on the doorstep, sellers need a valid peddler's certificate and not just identification with the person's photograph on it. Okay, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, so, it rem all that remains to say is goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.